0: All right, glad you're here tonight. So we're going to talk about who you worship today. And you might say that's a silly question with an obvious answer. And I hope to show you that it's not that obvious as we might think in asking ourselves, who are we ultimately worshiping? In the book of Zechariah, those first six chapters were filled with these uh, amazing visions, difficult visions that uh, show though, amazing encouragement of what God was ultimately going to do in the future for his people. If the people would dedicate themselves to the work and rise up and build this temple, that God was saying that great things lie ahead, great glory lies ahead, and that God would be with his people. People And now that we've moved out of those six chapters where those visions lie, there's some prophecies that that come about for the second half of the book. But before those prophecies come up, there is an issue that arises in chapter seven and chapter eight. Now, uh, I wish I could do both of those chapters, but you want to go home in a reasonable hour tonight. So we're going to do only chapter seven and look at some of the answers that are provided. There is a question that the people of Israel have but god doesn't directly answer that question till the end of chapter 8 so we're going to be kind of in this holding pattern that god before he gives an answer wants to have a discussion with the people concerning how they've been approaching him and how they look at him. The, the, the issue and the question that arises is found in the first three verses uh, where we are told that in verse three, you have then a, a couple, well, verse two gives the names of the men, can't say their names, but they come and what they do is they are representing Israel with a very important question. And so the question is brought to the priest who are supposed to inquire of God. And this is the question that says there in verse three, should we weep and abstain in the fifth month as we have done for so many years? So you read that and go, well, that's an odd question. And I don't know what exactly they are referring to. But by speaking about them fasting and mourning and abstaining in the fifth month, this would be a reference to when the temple was destroyed. We're told in 2 Kings 25 that it's in on the seventh day of the fifth month that the temple falls. And it appears that since that day, the people have been mourning and fasting now for seventy years. And so you can imagine that year after year they have this annual remembrance when this month, this fifth month comes around, that they go into mourning and they are fasting and weeping over the fact that the temple has been destroyed. But now, as we've been seeing in the books of Haggai and Zechariah, the people are rebuilding the temple. And so the question is well, now that the temple is being rebuilt, should we keep on fasting? Should we keep doing this procedure of fasting and weeping and mourning over the loss of the temple since now we're getting it back? And God's answer to this question is very instructive for us. Because how God answers this is not simply yes or no, and then we kind of go, okay, well, this was 3,000 years ago, so what does it really matter? But rather something far more important that the answer is something that speaks more to the heart about what God expects of his people. So notice that how God responds in verse four. Then the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves Were these not these words that the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her in the south and the lowlands were inhabited So notice God doesn't simply say, yes, keep doing it or no, don't keep doing it. God responds with the question and he simply asks, so when you were doing this for these 70 years and you were keeping these fasts and mourning and abstaining from things, did you really do it for me? Were you really doing it because you were cut to the heart and you were so concerned about me and worshiping me? Or did you really just kind of do it for yourself? And I think this is an interesting question to ask because you would think on the surface immediately, well, surely if they're abstaining from food and abstaining from drink and mourning and wailing, that would not be for themselves, right? It surely would have to be for God. God would be pleased by such a behavior and an action as they're so distraught and so torn up by the fact that the temple has been missing for all these 70 years. But what God does is he comes in and he asks them such an important question and he just wants to know, what is the reason that you were doing this? And I think what you have God implying is what had happened is that these had become selfish and insincere. They were simply doing it. It became a heartless tradition for the last 70 years. We would imagine and suppose that in the beginning, the things that they were doing and abstaining and fasting and mourning were probably cut from the heart in that first year. Remembering back to the year before of the way things used to be and how we had a temple and now it's gone. But now that so much time has gone by, it seems like they were just doing it to do it. And it just turned into a heartless tradition. It seemed that it became something that they really did not care about. And what is, I think, particularly useful about this is notice how God speaks to this in verse seven when he says, now, didn't I say this through the former prophets when Jerusalem was still standing? Well, what does he mean by that? I think what he means by that is God has always wanted the heart and has never cared about the ritual. Doing something just to do it is not God's desire. Because if you remember, before the temple fell, they were still doing the sacrifices. They still had all the regular feasts. They were keeping Sabbaths somewhat and doing those kinds of things. And yet their heart wasn't in it. They were just doing it because they were supposed to do it. And it had gone to that point, even with something as fresh as the destruction of the temple, had also now turned into a heartless tradition. And God is always trying to remind us of these important truths, that God always wants repentance. And he doesn't want ritual, that he always wants transformation. And not just some kind of tradition. And these kinds of questions really speak to us today about some things that we do that we can easily take for granted. When we think about why we are here, why do we worship? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Is it because we're here to truly worship God from the heart? Or is there some other reason or motivation? When we sing, is it because we are really doing it for God or because we know we have three songs, a Lord's Supper, a sermon and a song? And so, you know, that's just part of the ritual, part of the tradition, part of the routine. And just make sure that we get those in and everything will be fine when we do the Lord's Supper. Is it because we are moved in the heart and really are desiring to focus in on what has happened at the cross? Or is it just something that needs to be done and check the box and move on? This is what God is dealing with with these people. Is that here they are doing the things that God had wanted. And yet God didn't want what they were doing. And that is all over the scriptures. You can read about that happening very early on. Even in the days of Samuel. When Samuel asked the question of Saul. Saul, Does God take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices? You know, be the temptation to say, well, sure. You know, he, he wants those sacrifices. And Samuel says, no, he wants you to obey. He wants you to pay attention. He wants you to be moved to do these things, not to just simply chalk them up and do them as the people in Zechariah's day were doing. And here the Saul was doing some, something similar. David even understood that after his sin, where he just says uh, to God, You don't want a sacrifice or I'd give it to you. That's not what you're looking for. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit and he will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And that's what I think what verse seven is getting at when God says, I have been saying that to you from the very beginning, that that has always been the expectation. That is always what I wanted you to understand is that God is wants the heart or to say it another way, God cares about the reason. God cares about the reason why we're here right now. And God cares about the reason why we sing or why we pray or why we take the Lord's Supper or why we give or why we serve or why we do anything for God. The reason matters. And it's never acceptable to God just to do it because, well, he says so. Or it seems to be the thing to do or some other motivation. And I think we should be struck by that because that certainly sets God apart from the false gods of the world. You can imagine in those days as well as in New Testament times where as long as you do your certain activities and carry on your your certain religious traditions and activities and God is going to be pleased with you and he'll leave you alone for the week and that's never the way God is that God is always expecting that we would engage the heart. And I think that's an important reminder. These things come in in waves, but it seems like within every generation, there is always this wave of needing to do something radical to restore ourselves back to the original plan of what God wants us to do in terms of worship and service. And so we need to make all of these dramatic changes. And I want us to, to consider... That it's not in the externals or in the changes, but rather if you bring your heart to God on the day you come. That's what matters. We can rearrange things and flip the building backward and make the sermon first and the Lord's Supper last and you know flip the songs around and do we can do all kinds of and none of that's gonna matter if your heart's not engaged. God doesn't care. And it might be exciting to us for a moment that we move things around and do things a little different, but it'll just turn into the same old thing again if you don't bring your heart. That transformation is lost and turns into simply tradition. And that is what has happened here. And I want us to see that even within one generation, within 70 years, that's what's become of it. The temple has been lost and the people lost the intensity of what that should have meant to them. So that's what you see happening even in verses 8 and 9. Notice what God now says as the second part of this message in verse 8. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow and the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let no one of you devise evil against another in your heart. I want you, when you read that, you think about does that sound like a unique command that you've never heard God say for his people of what he wants them to do? Uh, You can go all over the place. That's where God says that. Remember, even in the days of Isaiah, where you have 200 years ago, Isaiah and Micah are saying the exact same things. What do you want? Do good. Be just. Be fair. Have compassion, show mercy, care for those who are oppressed and downtrodden. Don't take advantage of other people. What I want you to see God saying is here are the people asking, should we keep carrying on with these traditions? And God is saying, you know what I want from you. You know, you know what I want from you. That God's message has never changed. You know what God wants you to do. And sometimes we like to play games with that, you know, you know, maybe God's very simple and he does not change. You know what God desires of you in your life. He know, you know how he wants you to live tomorrow when you go to work or you're in your home or where you're in the community, you know what God wants you to do. And that's what he's doing right here when he gives this message. Here's what the Lord says. And it's basically a quote of what he's always said through the prophets. It's the exact same message. You know what God wants for you to do. You know what it means to render true judgments and to live upright and be faithful before God. That is what God wants. And truly what God is looking for then is that kind of life where we do the things that you read there in verses nine and 10 will only come. If there's a repentance of the heart, if these things truly come from the heart, if we are truly transformed as God wants us to be transformed. And I think that is something that can often be lost is sometimes we can have the tendency to think that if we can just have some more traditions, you know, for some more rituals or give me some more to do list things that that's going to make the transformation God wants. And we'll line it up like that. I if I just would, you know, pray more and read my Bible more and do some of these things, that's what's going to make the difference. If you don't bring your heart, that's not going to matter. You can read it and read it and read it, but without the heart, it's not going to matter. You can talk in prayer, but if your heart's not there, it's not going to matter. The people were keeping all of the externals, but the heart is what God was looking for, that the heart would be engaged in what they were doing in their service and in their actions before God. Now, you would think with a message like this, that this would be just mind blowing that, OK, we have not had our hearts engaged. We have turned the fall of the temple and its destruction into just simply ritual and tradition and so with these fastings that we've been doing in the morning that we're doing, let's get everybody together let's have a real revival of the heart let's get engaged to God and let's worship. look at verse 11 but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of of the Lord, Lord of hosts and sent by the spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came upon the Lord of hosts. As I called, they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them to the whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. This is an amazing picture that that comes about is God reminds them of how they got to where they are. He's saying, you know what the law is. You know what God desires of you. You know that God has always wanted your heart, that he has always wanted repentance and not ritual. He's always wanted transformation and not tradition. And then he says, now, when I made that message clear, you want to know what people do with that? They don't pay attention. And that's what had happened in Israel's past. They had not listened to what God said. And I want you to think about the imagery that's given there in verse 11. They refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard so that they would not hear the law or the words of the Lord of hosts that had been set through by his spirit through the former prophets. Here's what I get from that. It's a choice about if our hearts are receptive to God or not. We get to choose if we are going to have hearts that listen to what God has to say or whether we are going to have hearts that do not pay attention, are stubborn, that we do not hear, we refuse to listen and allow our hearts to be made diamond hard. That's a choice that we make. We choose that. We can turn the things of God into such ritual and to such obligation and such duty that we just turn around and become stubborn and our hearts become callous and we don't even care. I really believe this is one of the worst things that has ever happened in terms of followers of Christ is that it has all been boiled down into this one, two, three hours that you have spent in a church building. As if that is the grand goal. And as long as you took the Lord's Supper, and as long as you sang some songs, and had a prayer, and had some guy yell at you for a few minutes, you are good to go. That's all God ever wanted was that you sat there, and you just sat in that seat, and you just watched everything go by. God's pleased. And probably now more than ever, it seems like that is the message of the religious world. Come, sit, be entertained, go home. And God is saying something so important here, is that our worship and our actions and our service mean absolutely nothing if the heart is not engaged. It just doesn't matter. In fact, notice how he words it in verse 13. God says, as I called, they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear. (laughs) Now that should be somewhat obvious. If we're not willing to listen to God, why would we think God's going to listen to us? We have a very unusual desire for a one-way relationship. (laughs) We don't want to listen to God, but we want God to listen to us. Relationships don't work like that. That's what God says. I called out to you. I told you I wanted your heart. I told you what you must do. You know what God desires of you. You know what he's seeking. And if we sit back and go, well, I'm not really interested in that. Don't think that God listens. We can't call out to him if we're not going to listen to him calling us. It makes sense. But it's so interesting how we miss the most obvious. Why would God hear us if we're not hearing him? Why would he hear anything that we have to say if we're not seeking to listen to what he's been trying to say to us? Ultimately, what you see is that for them, their faith had merely become a decoration. That's all it was. Why were they fasting and mourning? Can you imagine that? It wasn't even real. They were doing all of that, and God says it wasn't even real. Okay, yeah, you had the tears and the wailing and the shouting. You weren't eating, but you didn't really care. It wasn't really for God. It's just what everybody else was doing. It's just what we do. My well, Sundays have been that for a very long time. Everybody just goes to church. That's kind of dying off now. People don't just always. Everybody doesn't go to church anymore. And then people wonder, oh, no, the numbers are all going down. No, all all the the false followers are finally not just coming just because because everybody else is doing it. (laughs) That's all that's happening. That's all that's going on. The people who weren't really there for the right reason didn't have the heart in the first place now decided, why am I here? I don't know. Why are you? That's what God is asking. If your heart's not there, why are you a part of this? God has always said this. Listen to how Amos put this. Listen to how strong this is. Here's God's word through Amos. I hate, I despise your feasts. I cannot stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fat and cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. I really would like for you to put that into modern terms for a moment and just imagine... What God could possibly say about hating in our worship. Can you imagine God sending a message to us that says, You know what? I hate it when you guys come together on Sunday. That's what He told them. I absolutely hate your assemblies. Can you imagine God saying, Do not sing any more songs. I cannot stand it. I don't want to hear anymore. That's what He just told them. I, your songs, I don't want it. When you get together for the Lord's Supper, it turns my stomach. I don't want it. When you pray, it's like empty words and I don't want to hear it. Can you imagine receiving a message from God that laid out all of the things like that? When you give, I can't bear seeing it. When you do things for others and supposedly as a a Christian, but it's not for me, I can't handle it. The words of Amos are so strong and it is so important for us to consider where we are in our worship and service to God. For that whether we are doing what is right, seeking justice, teaching others, serving others, helping others, participating in the acts of worship or whatever it is, God's watching the heart. That God is always watching the heart. That those kinds of things truly matter to him. And it's really a, a big reason for us, for anything that we do for God, whether it be a public worship or whether we are out in the world doing things, that we must ask ourselves, is this really for God's sake? Or is there another reason? Is there something else behind this? Do we truly care about having a relationship with God? Do we truly care that God is glorified? Do we care that God is honored, that all that we are doing is so that he is pleased? Or is there another motivation? Is there another reason why we're doing what we're doing? So I want us just to end in thinking about this text with with a couple of conclusions and and ideas with that. I think one of the, the strongest takeaways that we should really grasp from this first part of this answer God didn't even give the full answer yet. He just you know let me start you off by thinking this way. then I'll tell you the answer at the end of chapter eight. But as he, as he brings this out, he, he's, he's wanting us to understand God really wants a relationship. should be one of the big takeaways, what's happening here? That our God is not a God who is pleased simply because we have performed certain things that we think he wants us to do. That the things that we do in worship and service are supposed to be so heart driven that it is building a relationship with God through those activities. And it is such a temptation to take the activities, strip the heart out, go through the motions and miss what God wants because we go, oh, well, I did everything that God wants. No, it's God wanting the relationship. What I'm not looking for in my children is that they make sure that they clean their room and they take the trash and they get good grades. And as long as they get all of those things, as long as they do all those various chores and lists and the dishes and all, as long as they do all that, I'm just so tickled pink happy. No. I want a relationship. That's what matters. Not the doing of the rules. That's ultimately not what matters. The reason I hope they will do the rules is because they care about me and see that I care about them, that there's a relationship that exists. That's what God's doing with us. Don't look at all that he says and goes, well, as long as I've got all those things, he's really happy. That's not what he wants. God wants a relationship. God doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want us just to simply say, all right, well, I'm here and I've done what what God wants me to do. But he truly wants a heart that truly seeks him. Ultimately, God accepts worship that comes from sincere people who are seeking to follow his ways and to do what is right. I don't know how we will ever be able to undo some of the weight of what culture has done to church. And what it has been so often turned into as a simple set of check marks that need to be cleared on a particular day and now God's all well and good with us so we can go back on our, on our way. But it's important that we don't allow ourselves to be sucked into that kind of thinking, to believe that as long as we have accomplished certain tasks, that that's ultimately what God wants. God wants your heart. And he says, if you won't listen to me, then why would you think that I'm going to listen to you? And I hope you'll let that message carry with you this week. Are you looking for a relationship with God? Or is he just a checkbox of things that need to be done? Are we worshiping him for him? Or is there another motivation? Let's go to God in prayer this evening. Our Heavenly Father... When we read a text like this, it can be somewhat difficult to understand how a people could do things that appear to be worship and yet it be self serving. God, we know you know the heart, you know our motivations, you know why we are here this very night. You know why we sang the songs that we sang. And you know why we prayed what we prayed. And you know why we kept the memorial today. You know everything about why we do what we do. And Lord, I pray that it would be your work in our hearts to reveal to us when we have the wrong motivation. Help us to see when we do church just for church. Help us to see when we look at things as obligation and responsibility rather than a desire of the heart. But Lord, we really do want a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us see that a relationship with you is everything that our heart could ever truly desire everything that we need in this life Lord forgive us for the times in our lives the times in our days where we have considered you as an obligation where we have seen our spiritual disciplines as something that we have to do where we've ever looked at worship as a necessity Lord, I pray that you would always give us hearts that want to do all these things. Give us the heart to seek you. Give us the heart to be in your word, the heart to want to sing, the heart to want to pray, the heart that wants to meditate on you. Help us to see that you and your word are greater than honey itself and greater than anything there is in this life. Forgive us for when we've fallen short. Lord, help us to have a much deeper relationship with you going forward than what we've had in the past. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It is an important reminder of what God says to us, how much he wants us. And that should be the great encouragement of what we have seen in him is that he wants us so much, so much that he gave his son because he wants you to be close to him so that you can be in relationship with him, so that you can be with him for eternity. And I'd ask you tonight to think about where you are with God. And if the things that you've done in your life, the things you do on a Sunday, the things you do during the week are more out of obligation and responsibility rather than truly from the heart, to really think about today being a day of repentance and changing your way of thinking about who God is and why you do what you do because God ultimately wants that heart. He sees our motivation and he certainly wants us to be motivated for him. Can we help you come to him tonight? Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?